everyone, this is Mitchie, and welcome back to the Manic Matter Podcast. Now, before we start today's episode, I just wanted to start off by saying that the Manic Matter Podcast is about to turn a year old now, so I kind of wanted to give everybody who has helped make this podcast what it is a huge thank you. I know that this podcast isn't a huge one, and it's definitely got a lot of progress to make before it's considered, you know to be as up to par and splendid as, you know, most other podcasts are, but it's still my podcast and it's still, you know, I still love it. And so I just wanted to give a big thank you to everybody who has made it possible. Um, I want to thank Joe and Sean from the Dark Side of Soul podcast for all the shout outs that they have been giving me over this past year especially with how supportive they've been and everybody in the Toki Bay chat for their support as well they have been phenomenal friends even though you know it's just been a short period of time thank you guys so much I also want to thank um, Tracy Finner she is um, what I can quite honestly say the show's number one fan because every time I post something on Facebook she is always there giving a like, giving a heart, always making a comment even when I've had um, the hiatuses where I've been in the hospital she has always been there giving a hundred percent support even though she's never had to do anything like that so thank you so much Tracy it's you know the support like that that keeps me doing everything that I am doing so I know that there's not much that I can give, especially, you know, being as small of a podcast that I am, but I really do hope that you continue to enjoy these episodes, and if there is anything that I can do to make these episodes better, please don't hesitate to let me know. And I also want to give a major thank you to my boyfriend, Brian. Um, You guys heard him in one of my earlier episodes, if you remember listening to the Jijon Pa episode. He was um, the co-host on that one. And here lately, he's also been kind of like a producer. He's been giving all sorts of ideas like the Mary Meyer episode and the She Pei Poo episode. So a big thank you to him as well. And to all of you who also listen, who may not, you know, give any kind of comments or anything like that, who just kind of listen and give likes and stuff, especially on YouTube. Thank you guys so much. Um, I do pay attention to all of the likes and the downloads. I am um, on Podbean kind of daily. I do see, you know, from all the countries and everything where people are downloading from. So it's not unnoticed. I definitely appreciate it. And thank you guys so much for making this podcast what it is. So here's to a year of the Manic Manor podcast. And... Let us keep going. But let's get into today's episode, shall we? So for today's episode, we are going to go into a case that really has an impact on South Korean history. Um, This is the case of Jeon Tae-il. For any of you guys who are huge fans of the Dark Side of Soul podcast, you have definitely heard of him. Um... He was mentioned in one of the earlier episodes of Dark Side, uh, their On Fire episode, actually. John Tae-il is infamously known as a man who kind of set the standard and set the actions in motion for the labor movement in South Korea. 
Uh, he was like 22 years old at the time that he infamously committed suicide by setting himself on fire, demanding, you know, equality and just fair treatment for factory workers in South Korea. And so we're going to discuss, you know, his background today, kind of talk about what, where he came from, what he witnessed, and lead up to, you know, his death and how it had an impact and everything and how, you know, despite, you know, this happening like 50 years ago, because this was like in the 70s that this happened, you know, even though there's been quite a bit of progress, there's still a lot to be made from his actions. So, here we go. Jeon Tae-il was born September 28, 1948 in Daegu, South Korea. Now, of course, 1948, South Korea, his family was less fortunate and he was one of three siblings. Now, his father did work in textiles and he was a sewer, so that was his trade of choice. And although he was a sewer, he didn't make much money. Now, the family did suffer quite a bit as a result of this, and Tail, of course, as he was growing up, had to drop out of elementary school as a result of this, even though he really did love school. And if you remember back when we were talking about the Chebol episode, um, during this time that Tail was going to, like, growing up when he was growing up. We saw Korea, you know, they were trying to recover because, you know, Tail was going to be growing up during a point where Korea was going through the Korea War, Korean War. So, you know, we had the textiles and everything and all this. Um, there was cheap labor with the textiles. So we had the clothes, we had wigs, um, workers. In turn, they were devoting hours and hours of their day to work towards this quote-unquote miracle on the Han. Or, you know, as the outsiders would call it, the miracle on the Han, because they didn't see it for what it actually was, just the exploitation of the Korean people being forced to work for pretty much just pennies on the dollar. Now, Taeyeol's father, for a period of time, did end up getting a job in a private sector, or you can say private sector, um... It was kind of like a military type of thing, working for the U.S. military is what they say. Um, but he was like kind of mending the military suits for the United States. And they were kind of hopeful for this, so they ended up going to Busan for a little while. And the family had hoped that this was going to be like their saving grace. Like they were going to make money from this, they weren't going to have to worry about living in poverty, but unfortunately... This was, you know, very short-lived because the father did end up getting scammed and he didn't get the money that he was promised and the family was very much still struggling. So because of that, they ended up relocating to Seoul, hoping that maybe they could find some sort of work, but finding work in the capital of South Korea was not as easy as they hoped. And there, they still found that they were suffering from periods of homelessness as well. Um, at one point, the family found themselves sleeping under the Yomchun Bridge near Seoul Station. And around the time of 1960, they found themselves relocating back to Daegu. 
And like I said, Tayil, of course, he did have to drop out of elementary school because the family just could not afford to, you know, have these kids going to school. They had to go to work in order to just let the family get by. And, you know, Tayil wanted to go to school. He wanted to get an education. He had a strong desire to learn, but it just wasn't in the cards for him. But, um, friends, family, everybody around Tails said that he was still a loving person, despite all of these hardships. Um, he was so friendly. He didn't want to kneel to any kind of injustice. He was adamant that you had to do the right thing, and he just, he, no matter what the struggle was, what was right was right, what was wrong was wrong. So... Of course, Tail wanted to do what was right for his family. Now, things did not get easier for the family, and as a result of these hardships, the father, of course, did decide to turn his stress and everything to sul to alcohol. He started drinking. And of course, it was left for the mother to turn to begging for food for her children. And, of course, the family was not eating for days, and it wasn't uncommon for them to do that. So the family was no stranger to just starving. But that didn't stop the mother from going out there and trying to find work and trying hard to just do what she could to provide for her children. So the mother would go out, you know, she would get the glutinous rice cakes um, or red bean porridge, like if you've ever seen... Um, um, Namja, uh, Boys Over Flowers. There's that one part of the episode where, um, what is it, Jandi? She is with her family and they're selling the rice cakes on the side of the road. It, it probably was something similar like that for the mother. She was selling what she could to try to get a little bit of money to provide for her family. And, um, it did work enough for her to buy kind of like a tent house or um, a pochang macha, I guess is what you can call it in Korean. Enough to put some kind of roof over the family's head for them to survive for a little bit of the time. And the family was able to get a sewing machine. And so Tail's father used that sewing machine to kind of teach Tail the methods of how to sew through his childhood. Now, by the time Tail was a teenager, we saw that he um, actually did run away from home and made his way back up to Seoul. And I guess it was because he was just sick of the poverty, or I don't know what it exactly made him want to run away from home. Maybe he wanted to just provide more for his family, just try to get some more money. But we do know that he had a big sense of rightfulness and a sense of a just against injustice. So, whatever his reason, he did end up running away from home. Now, he was about 17, 18, and he was working at Pyeongwal Market. Um, at the time, there was around 800 factories around the Cheonggichan, and roughly about 20,000 workers that would work in these factories, and these factories were super cramped, super crowded. Um, but because his father was a sewer, he was able to get a 
I guess you could somewhat say fairly decent job. And he got a job as a foundation assistant called a Shida. And they claimed that he got quite a bit of recognition, so he was able to kind of go up in the ranks, you could say, but um, despite this, he still wasn't paid well. And he was looking around and seeing that things weren't really all that right in these factories. And like I said, these factories, they were very, very crowded. And the pay wasn't all that well either. Like, he was making probably the equivalent of two U.S. dollars, whether that be two U.S. dollars an hour or whether that be two U.S. dollars for the day that he was making, it was not a lot of money. And one other thing that he noticed was the treatment that they were making. Even if he got, you know, some kind of recognition like, hey, good job, that's a nice stitch there. The workers, including him, the experiences that they were having in these factories were less than that of humane. And it was particularly bad with his female co-workers. Um, at one point, he noticed a female co-worker coughing up blood at one point on a daily basis. Uh, sewing machines and the tables were lined up so narrowly that hardly anybody could walk through them. There were clothes and um, not just clothes but fabrics as well that were piled up that were so like cramped up and dusty that they could be seen as a fire hazard and the work hours were up to like 14 15 hours a day and some of these girls didn't see the sun or they couldn't move properly they were hunched over so that couldn't be good you know for their bones couldn't be good for their backs and lord knows how old these girls actually were so i don't know what the working age rights were back then in like the 60s and 70s for South Korea but like we said Tail had a big sense of you know injustice is not right so he just saw that this was not right and what was even worse for Tail was he saw that the factory workers were keeping these girls up by giving them you know all these tonics and medications so it was essentially just depriving these girls of sleep to keep them going, keep them producing more and more, you know, textiles, more wigs, more this, more that. And it, it just wasn't good on a human body and he just thought that this was not fair. So as we said, the workers at this time, you know, with the pay being as shitty as it was, it was said that they were lucky if they got, you know, 3000 won a month. But after, you know, sending it to their families or paying bills that they needed, you know, they were back at a poverty line. They were lucky if they had anything in their pocket. So they were pretty much working for nothing. And, you know, tuberculosis, if you saw somebody coughing up blood, that was not a good sign. Nosebleeds, jaundice-infused faces... It was, it was awful. And Tayul, since his childhood, had a sense of right and wrong that was very, very inept. He never knelt to this injustice. 
he saw that this was unfair and he felt it so deep in his system so deep in his bones and his father so he went to his father and his father said that he knew of a labor act that was supposed to protect protect workers in south korea so Tail found this act he bought a copy like a i don't know if it was a book or just like a sheet of paper but he found a copy of this act and he read this act over and in this act he found you know workers in korea were only supposed to work you know eight hours a day or only up to 48 hours a week but the reality of what him and his co-workers were going through was much much darker and the reality was they were working 14 plus hours a day 98 hours a week and they weren't being treated like humans this was not right at all like how could these factory owners get away with this when there was clearly a law in place so tail took it upon himself to start studying this act inside and out so in june of 1969 he decided that if nobody else was going to protect him and his people in these factories that he was going to have to stand up and do something so he decided that he was going to start a demonstration and he named the meeting the fool's association and the name came from you know their unfair treatment and it was mainly because they had hardly made a sound up until that day but they still contained the will to fight and seek justice and Tail was the chairman of this group and he made it his mission to fight for each of the factory workers that were in these factories so that they could have their rights and they could have fair treatment because they were people too so he pushed out with his dream and um, while he was doing this he did end up losing his father his father did pass away during this time and you know the owners of the factory that he worked in found out about this and turned around and fired him because he was being seen as a threat and so they just turned around and fired him on the spot so tail is without a job you know he's now dealing with the emotional hardship of losing his father and now he's unable to find work but that didn't stop him because he was so heavily involved and devoted to this cause and he refused to give up because he believed that these workers still deserved to be treated with respect and dignity like it was just a god-given right so by august of 1969 he went back to the factory area and began questioning the workers in the factories to figure out what was going on and how the condition in the factories was going if it had improved any or if it was still bad or if it was worsening and once he collected as much information as he could he decided he was going to go down to the city hall in the area and was going to meet with the labor supervisor or at least he attempted to but when he went to meet with the labor supervisor it didn't turn out near as much as he hoped it would essentially the supervisor just brushed him off and told him uh, it's whatever ignore it it's not a big deal they looked at him like he was just a city uh, silly college student protesting like it's 
whatever, you're just being stupid. Because he was like a 19, 20 year old kid at this time. It's just like, whatever. They didn't take him seriously. So, he's obviously disgruntled and frustrated at this point. Now, time goes by and things blow over and eventually the factory owner does give him his job back as a tailor at the factory. And Tail uses this to his advantage to rally hope with his fellow co-workers and form the Samdung Fellowship. And he gathered tailors from three of the factories, the Pyeonghwa Market, the Donghwa Market, and the Tongil Market. And in this mo movement, they chose to bring to the light, bring to light, excuse me, the truth of the working conditions that they were experiencing to the public. And initially, no one was actually listening to their cries. However, there was one newspaper that was willing to pay attention to what they were doing. There was a reporter that took, you know, mercy and graciousness upon them. And it was that one person alone that was enough to make the group happy and continue their cause. And so, there came along an article about the conditions at the Pyeonghwa market. And the supervisor got wind of this and was not happy. And immediately sights were set on Tae-il. And there was an outrage about this. And how dare, how dare Tae-il bring an embarrassment onto that factory. And this brings us to the day of the protest and the labor movement in the events of November 13th, 1970. The entire atmosphere was severely tense and there were local police on guard that day. There were workers out there demonstrating for their equal and fair treatment. It was around midday and there was a fight that soon broke out. In the midst of this fight, John Tail had been around the corner in a back alley and he had doused himself in gasoline with a friend. And the friend helped him helped him to light a match. After that, Tail came sprinting into the middle of all of the action, screaming out the infamous line, We are not machines. And after he had stated that slogan, he collapsed onto the ground. And as his body collapsed onto the ground and burned, a worker came up and took a copy of the labor act and tossed it onto his burning body. His body burned with a copy of the act that was supposed to protect these workers from the unfair treatment that they were being subjected to. Soon after, he was taken to a nearby hospital. And I should note that um, one of the articles that I looked at felt the need to mention that one of his last meals um, was ramen, because one of the last things that he ever actually said was that he was hungry. And 10 o'clock that evening, he passed away and um, actually 
him being hungry was not actually the last thing he said. The last thing that he did say um, was actually to his mother. Please don't let what I've done here be in vain. And that, that is so, so powerful. He was 22 years old and had just committed an act that nobody really thinks of doing, even at such a young age. Self-immolation for a cause that he was so devoted to. Tail wanted to change the labor force in Korea for the better and didn't want his cause to be in vain. And I can only hope as, you know, time goes on that his name never gets forgotten for any reason. And that, you know, the next generations, not only in South Korea, but across the world, learn of his bravery and selflessness. Because what he did, I don't care who you are or what you may think of what he did, it takes guts to do that. Because he knew that even if... He couldn't make a direct change that day himself. What he did somehow would go down in history. So, you know, as a result of his actions, his death did motivate workers to continue fighting for their rights, and labor unions have formed since the 1970s. We saw, you know, unification of university students and some media outlets. And, you know, even some religious officials came together as well. Um, uh, Some movies were created as a result of this. There was one created in 1995 called A Single Spark. Um, Just recently, there was one in 2021. It was an animated movie called Chantail, A Flame That Lives On. Now, I've not seen either movie, but they, uh, I'm sure they are pretty decent movies if you do want to give them a chance to go see them. Now, there is a statue of Jun Tae-il. It's located um, at Jungna-oga in Jungna-gu-seul, South Korea. I believe that's near Cheonggi-chun where all this took place. There is also a memorial museum as well, I believe. and anytime there's, you know, labor protests or anything like that, I do know that there are people that go to the statue of Jung Tae-il because he is known as, you know, like, kind of a founding father, if you will, when it comes to, you know, civil rights, when it comes to any kind of labor movement. But that is... You know, in short, the story of John Tae-il. If you guys have, you know, any comments or any additional information that you would like to add on to his story, please feel free to do so because this is, you know, a very heavy story and this is a very important person in history, not just in South Korea, but for the world as well. If you have any other um, stories that you would like for me to say or do or add on to the podcast, 
please feel free to let me know. You can reach out to me at manicmannerpodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out at Facebook or Instagram at Manic Manor Podcast. I hope you guys have a fantastic week. And once again, thank you guys so much for a fantastic year on this podcast. And here's to many more. I hope you guys have a wonderful day. And until the next episode, bye-bye.